3: This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network.
2: You're eating, and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer, Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's
0: an inside the park, home run,
4: Mike tried is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it.
3: (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville, which is part of the Athletic Baseball Show where you will find great baseball talk all week long and all offseason long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. Joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Lanville. So, Doug, happy offseason, my friend.
4: Yeah, man, I'm I'm kind of thinking of adding roofer to that as uh, I'm watching my roof getting... It had three layers of roof on it for some strange reason. I guess Connecticut allows that. So I'm sort of trying to check this thing out. But uh yeah, it's it's like mm-hmm. shocking. You know, start off right out of the gate on being a fiddler on the roof. But um the off season is here, it's kind of shocking. I, I you know, I don't know. It's been you know how it is, your head's down and then 162 games later you're just like, What? Where have I been?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm sure the off season as a player is different than the offseason as a Podcaster, writer, broadcaster, professor, but <laughs> we can get into that some other time. We got a long offseason ahead to get into all of that. Um, Doug, this is that episode where we look backward and forward because we're multitaskers, right? So uh, we'll look back at that World Series uh, with our special guest this week, the one, the only, Shepard Jones. And uh, we're going to look forward to what looks like it'll be a messy, baseball offseason. But you know, we haven't had a show since the Braves won the World Series. So I, I you know, I'd love to hear your take on that team, Doug. Um, just such a fascinating season. We had two teams in the NL West win 107 and 106 games. We had four teams in the AL East win more than 90 games. And it was the 88-win Braves who won the World Series What do you think we should take away from the story of the Braves?
4: Alex Anthopoulos kind of told us almost uh, in advance on the possibility of, of their chance of winning just by the moves that he made at the trade deadline. And, you know, that statement just seemed to resonate in a way that hard to explain the win totals aligning with this sort of belief system that the Braves had going for them. Uh, I, you know, Cunha goes down and you're sitting there going, well, wow, this is going to be tough. And, you know, he, he just made some really smart moves because he had guys that were hurt and coming back. He had guys that clearly had success in the past that just needed sort of a, a chance to get into the right environment, like a Soler or a Rosario. And, and you know, that so that took a certain, you know, insight. But then you have to give a lot of credit to Brian Snicker for being able to figure out how to implement these guys into an existing team. And you know, I had a chance to talk to Freddie Freeman and he was saying how, you know, Duvall, you know, was familiar. He had been a brave before and, and guys that kind of fit right in and their ability to just, you know, kind of pick up the systems. And Duval when he won the gold glove, had a chance to, you know, interview him and he he said that he's like, well it helped it made such a big difference of coming in a place that you were already comfortable, but you already knew their system. So they had a system that was really effective. And, you know, they, they outpitched, you know, they outplayed. They had the big home runs, the big hits. And, you know, they look like a team when you look at that, you know, all the sort of teams they left on the side of the road. They beat some incredibly incredible teams, but also different kinds of teams. They beat a pitching staff with the Brewers. They knocked off the a team like the Dodgers that could afford to buy Mars if they wanted to with their payroll. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, they knocked off Houston Astros, which, you know, just could not stop scoring. I mean, they were number one in runs per game, batting average on base percentage, and they didn't strike out. So there was a lot of things on paper that worked against them. But, you know, Freddie Freeman just shined, and and the some of the players that they, they went and got proved to be not only good pieces, but primetime players. And, you know, you don't always know that until it happens, but... Yeah, you know, when you step back, you say they were the best team. It was like you know, I remember the Cardinals won. Then they won the wild card like eighty something games, and won the World Series. And but when you stepped away from the Braves, you said this was actually the best team. They, they were actually the best team. They the way they beat these teams, it was it was really undeniable.
3: Yeah. It, now, obviously, the Braves were not the best team in baseball from April or July, but I went back to the trading deadline. That was July thirtieth. If we start counting. <laughs> wins and losses on July 31st, you know what their record was from that date through the end of the World Series? It was 48 and 24. So for those three months, they played like a 108-win team. There's nothing fluky about a team like that winning the World Series. Uh, They just were different than they were for those first four months. You mentioned the trading deadline. Alex Anthopoulos, I think, had the greatest trading deadline ever, and here's one thing I would take away from that. Um, it's a, it, it's going to be an off-season of labor talks, right? So, in this next labor deal, I, I think we need to discourage teams not just from tanking, but from giving up in mid-season. Um, I know some teams are obviously out of it, but there should be incentive to go for it and disincentive to blow up your roster in July. I've talked to general managers of teams who are in the middle about this. Uh, I love the idea of awarding the top picks in the draft, not to the teams that go lose 110 games or whatever, but to the teams that come closest to making the playoffs. Uh, I think this addresses tanking and it addresses um teams that are that are kind of in the middle in July trying to decide whether to buy or sell or hold or whatever there's incentive to go for it with a system like that Doug what do you think
4: I well, I love that idea Jay and you and you mentioned it uh, sometime I don't know if it's last year we spoke about it and I think it's a great idea I think it's a great idea because you you're giving the motivation to be as good as you can be. And that's what you want. You want, you know, if you're a fan, you need that. And it keeps you more engaged. And I think the other thing is, you know, maybe to me, it has to kind of come with maybe adding a couple more playoff teams. You know, like maybe, you know, if that line is the playoffs, then, you know, whatever. I don't know if it's half the leagues. I don't want a f- under 500 team in the postseason, okay? I can't accept that. <laughs> but <it happens. laughs> But yeah, I, I got I to gotta draw the line there. With Houston and, and Milwaukee in 2020, it's like, no. But, they, uh, I think, somewhere in there, and then you know, the best of the rest. Yeah, I, I, I love that because you have an incentive to be the best you can be, and you go out there. Now, if you're gonna, are you gonna make the calculation? Do I make the wild card, or I just am I the best of the worst? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you, that's a, you know, I can't imagine you'd say no. Let's not make the playoffs uh, instead. So, uh, I, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. I, I really. I want to see more of that where it's like every team has incentive to play their best all the way through. And when I'm on those teams, because nothing was more frustrating going to spring training and, and then hearing about whatever the Yankees signed, like 12 more guys and, you know, at like $10 million a pop, you're just like, come on, you know? So I just <laughs> want to see, you know, you just want to have a shot, you know, that's all.
3: Yeah. yeah and this is, this creates incentives. To try to win, which I think are really important in this sport. I, we're going to hear more about that idea as we go through the winter. I, I want to talk about labor in a, in a second, but uh, look, Doug. I, I, you know, I know you have a soft spot, soft spot in your heart for Dusty Baker, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about Dusty, who he felt like it felt like this was as good a chance as he would ever have to win that World Series. It didn't happen. Your thoughts about Dusty and the chance to win that, that again slips away and where he goes from here.
4: Yeah, well, Dusty, you know, as you know, he extended for another year in Houston. Uh, will it be Houston without Carlos Correa and and certain names? I mean, maybe you have Verlander back. Maybe you have McCullers back. Those probably would have been two key difference makers in their the outcome for them so that those were big big <laughs> yeah. blows for them so however um you know and Braves certainly had injuries too but i, I look at dusty and i but well, first i see a father figure you know see someone that was my manager after buck Showalter uh at the trade deadline where and the year after my father passed away in 02 and you know he came in with that belief the way he's so good with people and what I love about Dusty is that he does bring an empathetic heart to the game. He brings an openness to diversity and learning from all these incredible people from all over the world. Uh, I think he brings that. And and when you have a game like that that can celebrate and all these gifts of being able to watch people come from all over the place come together, that you know that's that's an asset you need in the game. And mix that with someone who you know coaching experience. I mean. You know, after the controversy around Al Campanis and his comments that, you know, definitely denigrated, you know, black opportunity in baseball in 87, uh, he got his, his coaching job in 88 and, and somewhat a direct response to that. And he never really looked back. And so he's paid every dues you can think of as a player, as a coach, as a, you know, as a manager, he's done it all. And, but yeah, the opportunity has been 25 some odd years as a manager and, you know, you know that the Astros team, that was a, a really good team, had a really good shot to, to win. But the Braves are just too good. So next year, I don't know. I think it depends on what happens in free agency and with the potential of a lockout and all these things, that that could be a very slow process. So um, I still think he's a Hall of Famer. You know, I don't think, there, you know, the whole idea of having to win a World Series, uh, I see him just as a hall of fame in terms of what he has done for the game to give it a certain humility and a certain swagger to go with it, a certain sense of, of connection. Uh, The game is, you know, larger than life. He's the type of figure that expands the game to make you see how much it is bigger than just, you know, what happens on the field. And as baseball fans, I think we all know that to a certain degree, but he embodied it in leadership and players come out of his experience, experience with Dusty is, as just better people, you know, you kind of, you value things so differently in playing for him. Uh, you know, you saw a family, and when you're away from your, you know, you know, actual family for probably longer than you're with them during a season, you need that. And for me, without my father being there for the first year of my career professionally and ever, uh, I needed that in a different way just to see that there was someone, this figure that cared and that was absolutely the right guy f- for me, uh, given that it was tough to get traded from a place I was starting to being a role player, and he, he spoke the right words. So, you know, I'm hopeful that he gets his ring at some point, but I don't think it it's a prerequisite to what he's already done for our game.
3: Look, I agree. I You know, I think if I'm in that room, when Dusty Baker's name comes up for whatever veterans committee he would qualify for, uh, I would vote for him as a Hall of Fame manager, maybe a, you know, someone who's made a contribution as a player, a manager, and a human being. But you have to recognize that there is no precedent for a guy with Dusty's managerial resume <laughs> um, without that World Series. If he wins the World Series with this team, he's a Hall of Famer. The debate is over. Now, it gives an opportunity for people who say, you need to win one, to say, no, I'm not going to cast that vote. So, I, I do think he gets in, but I, I, I think the road gets harder, and uh, that that really troubles me. I'm, I'm really sorry that, of all the things that happened in this postseason, that was the one great plot line that remains unfulfilled, and... Uh, they'll have a really good team next year. I'm sure they will. But, you know, you don't you don't get to the World Series with a team this great every year, no matter how good your team is. And so we'll see where this leads. But uh, D- Dusty Baker and the Hall of Fame, it's going to be an ongoing topic for quite a few years now. Uh, all right, Doug, one more thing before we get to Chipper. Uh, we touched on this earlier in this show. Uh, I think they call that foreshadowing, right? Um, This offseason is going to be a mess. The labor deal expires in about three weeks. Uh, Maybe you see a path to a quick deal. I don't see one. Mm. I don't hear one. Uh, So here's what we're looking at. Uh, As Evan Drellich wrote last week, (laughs) what was basically his handy-dandy guide to the upcoming labor snafu, uh, the owners will almost certainly lock out the players when this labor deal expires on December 1st uh, that in turn freezes all the free agent fund until there's a deal it means the winter meetings get canceled and it means we'll spend weeks stressing over whether they can reach a deal so that spring training starts on time maybe even whether the the season starts on time Uh, let me tell you the vibe that I'm getting and then you can tell me what you see Um, from the conversations that I've had with people on both sides I just sense there's really no one galvanizing issue that feels like it's radioactive enough for either side to want to blow up the sport and blow up the season over it. So I I do think this thing will look ugly for a long time, but then it gets settled. I don't know when, January 15th, February 1st, February 15th, March 1st, uh, some date that doesn't jeopardize the season, but... At some point, so that we can get to an opening day when it's scheduled. Uh, that's what I see. Doug, you're a former player rep for the union. What do you see?
4: I'd like to see that. I I, I think there, even though when there's times you see and you say, well, there's not you know, something that they should blow it up, that's when they blow it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I, I, you know, I just... I mean, I'm hopeful because they've had, relatively speaking, labor peace, right, for 25 years. I mean, you think about a guy like Chase Utley comes up in the big leagues and he never had a work stoppage. Mike Trout has never had a work stoppage. Uh, So that is pretty remarkable. And I'm not saying it hasn't come but with a lot of saber rattling and, you know, trash talking and all that. But in the end, they got it done. And that's been good for the game. The game has a lot of positives going for it, whether it's, you know, licensing or something. There's a lot there, but there's certainly concerns about what pace of play and things that you could settle, right? Not, you shouldn't be blowing up things over, but quietly, there's always a dollar, you know, and sometimes not so quietly and how this money is distributed and and taxes and caps and all these things. And you just never know exactly when the owners might say, let's, let's test these guys. Um, you know, that's the thing about having 25 years of labor peace, is that you don't have a constituency on the Players Association side that's actually been through a strike and what that's actually like. And that is not easy. Now, I haven't, I, you know, 94, obviously World Series canceling all that, 95. Uh, I, you know, certainly went up to the wire in 2002. But, you know, when you haven't been through it, I don't know. I, I think there's a curiosity sometimes of seeing like what the players will do with that. And will they kind of cave in or will they implode or are they really strong? And and sometimes there's just an interest in testing that. So that's the wild card of it. And, and um, you know, sometimes you say, why not? Okay, we have some time. We'll lock you out and see what happens. And maybe you eat each other at some point and then, you know, coming out of it. And then now all of a sudden in March, we have to, you know, work on something that's more favorable. So I, I don't know. And And free agency as a result is total chaos and it all happens on the back end where you have a large supply and maybe a limited demand at different times at different positions that you know that's going to put a lot of pressure on players about what they're going to do and do you accept certain things sooner and cheaper or do you kind of wait and go into this morass and find out what happened so there's a lot of pressure the owners could place just by doing nothing and I, I just don't know when, when the players don't have that experience of being locked out or just sitting on the sidelines, how they'll respond.
3: Hey, I'm not saying I'm not worried. <laughs> I'm, I, I've seen too much, just like you. Uh, I, I, Of course I'm worried. Uh, I'm worried because I don't see a lot of common ground right now. I don't see a sense of common purpose right now. Uh, that, that can be trouble. It really can. And the players will be tested. Both sides will be tested. I just hope I'm right about this because I've covered way too many baseball labor wars. Uh, They're disastrous. They're dysfunctional. uh, They're destructive to the health and future of the sport. This is no time to go through another one. Uh, I feel like both sides know that. So for now, I've got this voice in my head that I'm still listening to. And it says, oh, don't worry. Reason will prevail. They know they can't afford to do this, so Doug, let's go into the off season. Uh, let's think that way,
4: okay? All right. for, can...
3: <laughs> for at least for the moment, we have way too much time ahead this winter to talk ourselves into <laughs> panic mode. Uh, I'm not. I don't want to go panic, full panic mode yet. Mm-hmm. So we're not doing that. We're mm-hmm. gonna think reason, logic, kumbaya. That has to prevail. Okay? Let's do that.
1: I'm with it.
3: okay doug enough of that depressing labor talk i got a way more fun idea why don't we talk to chipper jones chipper thanks for joining me and doug glanville uh how are you and also where are you <laughs>
5: <laughs> well it's funny you ask uh first of all it's good to be with you and good to see uh dougie again I haven't seen him in quite some time but um uh, i am in the heartland of america i'm in uh Great Bend, Kansas. And uh, as some of your followers might know, I have an outdoor TV show called Major League Bow Hunter. And uh, we're out in the Midwest chasing some of these big white tails. And, but I took time out of my day to come uh, talk to two of my favorite people. <laughs> all
4: right. Appreciate
3: we, it. Man. We appreciate that. Just don't shoot any bows <laughs> arrows at us. That's all we ask. Gotcha. <laughs> got you got. <laughs> All right, Chipper, let's start with this. Um, you might have heard the Braves won the World Series, right? <laughs> I, I I checked in with Brian Snitker over the weekend, and he said something to me that I heard over and over. I uh, heard it after Game Six last week. Heard it again during the parade on Friday. Uh, Snit said the, what this World Series did for Atlanta was amazing. Now you're basically the unofficial mayor of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So h- how would you describe what this world series meant to Atlanta?
5: It meant so many things. I think, uh, you can look no further than center field, having that 44 painted Ooh. in the middle of center field, um, for the entirety of the season. Um, those pictures of the people that we lost, uh, in the last year, um, Hank, Don Sutton, Phil Necro, uh, Mr. Bartholomew. Um, It was, uh, you know, there were a lot of heavy hearts coming into spring training this year. And, um, you know, I just read something on social media where we we had 44 painted in the grass all year. We won 44 games in the first half. (laughs) We won 44 games in the second half. The World Series was won in the 44th week of the year. Yeah. Um uh it, it's it's there's some symmetry there that is just unexplainable um but for the city itself, you know <laughs> we've taken our lumps through the, through the through the years um uh, you know, 28 to three is a is a big uh you know, if anybody ever wants to get in under an Atlanta skin, all they have to do is say 28 to three <laughs> um all they have to do is say. We lost a three-one lead to the to the Dodgers last year, being one one win away from the World Series. To exercise those demons, to finally put them to rest, um, it, it truly is amazing. I, I, somebody just asked me a while ago, "Did I have fun coaching?" I said, "I had a blast in spring training, and I had a blast in September." But those four months in be- four or five months <laughs> in between were rough. You know, it seemed like there was drama, you know, in and around the club each and every day.
3: Yeah. You, you know, I'm glad you brought up, uh, Hank Aaron, uh, Phil Necro, uh, all, all those Braves legends who were lost because when I'm around the Braves, I, I'm, I'm so conscious of the sense of history that you always feel when mm-hmm. you're around the Braves. And, um, I felt it right to the to the last pitch of that World Series. And I you know, I, I wrote about this. Uh Freddie Freeman played with you. You played uh-huh. with Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin played with Phil Necro. Phil Necro played with Hank Aaron. It's uh-huh. not that hard to connect all the dots between Braves Legends of today, Braves Legends of yesteryear, and I don't know how to explain why we feel that history so vividly with the Braves, whereas you don't always with other teams. If you could try to yeah. put that into words, I'd love to hear you explain it.
5: I think uh, the the deep South roots have a little something to do with it. Um, you know, I, I just think there's been so many, you know, not necessarily uh, great teams or championships, but such uh transcendent, players come come through um this organization you know obviously Hank being the the hallmark of all of them but uh you know I mean Murph certainly left his uh imprint on the organization you can go back up maybe a little further than than Hank with uh, uh Eddie Matthews uh Warren Spawn. I mean we know who uh who these guys are even though they're You know, they're not with us anymore. Um, They set a standard. And, you know, when I came up, you know, I was replacing a a fellow by the name of Terry Pendleton, who was a a pretty popular player himself. And I think they instill in us from the second that we get into this organization that, you know, they make it known who's up there or you know who's up there. And when you, you get there, you're expected to, Uh, live up to a certain standard and play to a certain standard. And and it's an awfully proud organization. Um, I'm I'm so happy to have been a part of this club because this was a true, um, this was the true definition of perseverance. You know, that Freddie Freeman said it a couple of times during some of his talks after, you know, it's just like speed bump after speed bump after speed bump all throughout the year. We weren't even over 500 until August, I believe, the 6th, yep. you know? And um, yeah, I know that if there's a round table in heaven, boy, uh, Sut and Hank and, <laughs> you know, Phil Necro <laughs> and Mr. Bartholomew, they were sitting around just having a big old chuckle over <laughs> it. I, 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 I can't imagine what that conversation was like. <laughs>
4: Yeah. Well, and Chipper, I just remember doing a game for ESPN early on in Atlanta and you were in the locker room and we were talking for a minute and you mentioned this sort of core group of players. It was Freddie Freeman, Jason Hayward, Brian McCann. And you talked about the excitement of hoping they'd not only be together, but be champions. And so I wonder how it feels that you're taking that legacy and now you see Freddie Freeman, you know, donning the crown finally. What does that feel like as a mentor?
5: extremely proud papa moment for for me and and that's coming from a guy that's got seven boys at home but you know to be able to play i think three years 2010 11 and 12 with freddie and he was basically our mascot you know he was he was the guy that, you know with the happy fun loving kid that you know didn't care if tomorrow didn't come he was you living living life by the seat of his pants and but I knew that he was going to be that perennial number 3 hitter once I was done and you know he has it gets me misty just thinking about the transformation that he's made from you know that that kid who was the team mascot into the man that is now the team leader and goes out leads by example every single day and you put him in that well now it's the two hole cuz that's the t- trendy thing to do <laughs> but you you ink him into that uh two hole you know what you're going to get out of him production wise you're going to get a gold glove caliber first base you're going to get a guy that plays 162 games he's going to hit 300 he's going to drive in 100 he's going to score 100 he's going to knock you know knock 30 balls out of the ballpark that's what you want. He can steal a base if you need to. He can do it all. He is the prototypical middle of the lineup guy, and to have him get his just due and and I haven't cried over a baseball game in a long time. When he hit that home run to kind of put the nail in the coffin uh, in Game Six, uh, there's nobody I would have rather had hit it
4: than than Freddie.
3: Wow. Now you know. There's something else too. Um, ah, will just, just collapsed. Hold on. <laughs>
4: Getting attacked by his microphone.
3: Yeah, like I'm, I'm, in, I'm disheveled here, man. Uh, and you know, there's something else too. Uh It's not just that you played with Freddie, um, and you saw the, the the growth of Freddie as a player. Um, Freddie grew into being for these teams what I felt like you were to your teams, and I, I, I think it reflects that the Braves, again, more than most franchises have a defined culture that gets passed down from generation to generation. Did you feel that when you first walked into the room? Uh, who ingrained it in you? What did you have to do to keep ingraining it in people like Freddie?
5: It's a different culture now than it was uh, when, when when I first came up. It was, uh, um, you know, rookies were seen and not heard. Um, your opinions did not matter to anybody else. Um, you know, there was a time when the baby Braves came up in the, in the early two thousands where I was severely outnumbered, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they, they were calling me old man and, uh, and, and what you know, shut up old man. I felt like, the outsider,
4: you
5: know? um, it's a different culture now. I think the, uh, the amount of Latin influence, and, and this is a totally a good thing. I am complimenting it because these kids have fun each and every day there are many different faces to 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 having success back in the in the you know early to mid 90s we were very business like we you know we had the ties <laughs> and travel you know we were real business like and professional and you had the the Tommy Glavins who never cracked a smile <laughs> you know maddox who was the professor you know he did have Smolty, but Smolty didn't have as much influence as those guys you know and um you know tp was very you know kind of buttoned up and business like and blouser and lemke and fred McGriff. there wasn't a lot of flash and flare. these guys today <laughs> they i mean they come into the clubhouse screaming they got the the awesome music and whatnot and it's just a different culture but it works for them. And Freddie, you know, even from time to time, you, you I'll look over at him and he'll roll his eyes. It's <laughs> like, you got to let the boys be boys, you know? And, and because I think if you take that, that, that flair and that enjoyment out of it for them, they, you maybe don't get what you should out of them. They're not having as much fun. Maybe they don't want to come to the ballpark at one or two o'clock and just hang out, you know? And, that's the one thing about this club that um, that reminds me of what John Sherholz used to do back in the day. Bobby and John were very, very clubhouse conscious. We did not have cancers in the clubhouse whatsoever. And Alex has done a tremendous job. This 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 world championship. Falls solely at the feet of Alex Anthopoulos and some of the moves that he made during the course of the season.
3: Yeah, we were just talking about a Greatest trade deadline ever by a GM. <laughs> yeah. I think it, I really think it was. Um, yeah. And you know, it's funny, we had Dale Murphy uh, visit us last week. He said something that was amazing, especially for Dale Murphy. He said that. It, w- if he were to come back in his next life, he would want to be Jock Peterson. <laughs> so he could have more fun. I can't even comprehend that, Chipper. So is there somebody on this
5: team that you would want to yeah. come
3: back as?
5: Yeah, I, I want to be Ronald Acuna. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that guy, hey, listen, guys, I've, I've, I've seen this kid since he was in A-ball, and he, was, he reminded me of Andrew Jones – the first time I saw Andrew, Andrew was a man playing amongst boys. <laughs> um, I can remember the first time he got called up to AAA, and Alex wanted me to go down and you know just watch him, tell you know, tell me what I what I thought of him. And I was working with an, an, another player, and we got done, and I had I checked my phone or something and not even realized who had walked into the room. And at that point, I. I I left the batting cage. Well, I got about 20, 20 yards down the hall from the batting cage, and I heard, Dougie, you you can attest to this. I heard the sound, okay, <laughs> of a ball yeah. coming off the bat that was <laughs> swung very very hard, okay. And I was like, oh my, Lord, that that's that's the sound that we always listen for. And I go back in, and it's a twenty year old you know, a night, excuse me, a 19 year old Ronald Acuna Jr. taking batting practice. And I have my 19 year old son with me that day. And we sat there and watched him take probably 20 swings. And my son turns to me and he goes, dad, man, I wish I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a wet newspaper when I hit it. And it sounds like a bomb going off. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, you know, you, you, the sky's the limit for this kid. Obviously, uh, I've been, um, talking to him quite a bit of late because of the ACL injury, uh, and my experiences with, with two ACLs. Um, but, uh, yeah, if, if, uh, if you can believe it, I think with the addition of Acuna and Soroka next year, Mm. the brace could could be even better.
3: Yeah. You just mentioned this. Um, you know, you tore your ACL twice. Um, Mm -hmm. How worried should people in Atlanta be about whether Ronald Acuna Jr. will ever be the same player after tearing his.
5: The first one, uh, won't hinder him at all. Um, there was 16 years between my ACL injuries. I did it in 1994 and then I did it again in 2010. Um, I was starting to slow down obviously at 38 years old already. And then you, you blew out for the second time and it felt like I was running in slow motion. And it was one of the reasons why in 2010, right before that, even before the injury, I was contemplating retirement. Um, And then when I blew the ACL, I'm thinking to myself, well, I can't, I don't want that to be people's last image of me, you know, hobbling off the field. I wanted to come back in 2011. then I got with a group of guys that were just a blast to play with and a blast to be in the clubhouse with. And it kind of rejuvenated me um, and, and was able to to make it through 2012. But Ronald Cooney Jr. will be fine. He's not a weightlifter. Um, he's not really a guy that that does a lot of cardio. Heck, I mean, how much cardio did we do when we were 23 years old? we we get up out of bed and show and go, you know. And um, he's kind of the same way. But he's had to get into the weight room to rehab and – he might be he might be bigger and faster and stronger coming back uh, this time. Um, I always worry about the second time, but let's not talk about that. Yeah. So, uh, let's not wish that upon someone.
4: Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's it's scary thought, by the way, of him bigger, faster, stronger than he already is. <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, you know, I want to kind of take you back to, you know, when we first competed against each other. I think it was at Durham because you were at Durham Bulls. Uh, Jason Stark and I, one of our favorite movies certainly is Bull Durham. And I'm curious, was there a moment where it kind of clicked for you to say, okay, I think I, I kind of figured this out. I mean, the I remember distinctly of playing against you early in the season. And I think you only had like, you know, early struggles, maybe one extra base hit. Then you come to Winston Salem, and I looked at your stats it, and you had like twenty doubles, ten triples, and ten home runs. You did it in like sixty <laughs> days or something. I was like, "What did this guy figure out?" So I was curious if if that was a year where you kind of it gelled, or if you had any particular moments that put it together for you.
5: That was the year. Um, it wasn't um, early in the season in Durham, uh, High A ball in the Carolina League was known as a as a really a. Uh, big pitchers Pitchers back then like that's their their studs in there and i really you know i I played okay the main thing with me was my error totals you know i mean i i set the record at all time minor league record for errors in low a ball the year before Mm. i think i made 55 Mm. and then you know at the break in 92 in durham you know, I had 14 at the break, so I had made some serious strides. They they knew I was going to hit. They moved me at the break to Greenville, mm-hmm. and that was the unbelievable Greenville team that won like 106 out of 150 games. And I got to play the second half there. Now, the second half there, I think my first game was in Charlotte. I, I You came up with the Cubs, correct? I mean, yeah. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, so- So Traxel was the first guy. Steve Traxel was the first guy that I faced in Double A, and I hit a triple off of him. And I was like, "Well, man, this ain't so bad. I can play here." You know, I mean, so it was like getting that confidence that hey, I can play. And you know, just I go out and I think I hit 350 the second half, and you know, we're winning championships, and I'm playing with guys. You know, Mike Bell was in the big leagues uh hobby lopez was the mvp of that league i called up to the big leagues that year melvin yevis was in the big leagues played you know we had oh, yeah <laughs> listen outfield uh melvin Nieves and left mike kelly in center and tony tarasco and right and tony tarasco <laughs> may have been the, the best prospect <laughs> of us all at that point you know um but just a just a loaded team a lot of fun but that is when it clicked for me
4: And is there like a, and and Bull Durham, like I gotta, I gotta get the Bull Durham set. Was was there anything that sort of connected this dots to the movie that stood out? Do you, do you remember that?
5: Well, like you guys, it is my favorite uh, baseball movie as well because it accurately depicts what minor league life is all about. Take away the, The Susan Sarandon, Tim Robbins kind of, you know, whatever that was, uh, to kind of Hollywood it up. But the bus rides, the conversations, the fights,
2: the
5: the 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 driving all night to play a a, a day-night double head. I mean, things, all those friendships that you forge on those bluebird bus rides we got got, you know what i'm talking about you know up in the luggage rack sleeping i mean yeah it's like a coffin up there i was totally freaked out but i mean if they could lay out they're gonna lay out and those friendships that you forge under those kind of uh, uh, circumstances and, and conditions Uh, or friendships that that I still have to this day more over some of the relationships that I made at the big league
4: club. Well, Chipper, um, you remember the scene in Bull Durham where they – He's like, oh, I can get you a rain out. And they kick, you know, they, they break the sprinklers a lot. But bef- yeah. before they go, the, remember the bus pulls up and there's ice skaters on the bus? Oh, yeah. And yeah. so I married an ice skater. So that's how deep I am in Bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> very
5: good, very good. So, so I got a funny story. So we always used to stay in La Quintus.
4: Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> With the dark Quint- shades, right? The, the shades. <laughs>
5: yeah. So... So, every every city that we would pull up to, um, uh, you know, the, it, we'd pull up to the La Quinta, and I got to wondering one day, and I was like, I'm going to ask one of the Latin players what La Quinta means. And he looked at me, straight faces all get out. He said, means Denny's in the lobby. If was not a Denny's in the lobby, it was like right That's out really
4: the front sorry. door, bro. <laughs> Knoxville, Knoxville, The <laughs> a moon's
5: over my for like you know three forty nine, which is we were only making about eleven bucks a week, seven
3: bucks a week. Oh my <laughs> gosh! So those were the but, grand slams that
4: really mattered. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, we were crossing yeah. highways to get to the one in Nashville and stuff. Oh my yeah. goodness!
5: Uh, but I'm telling you, if it wasn't a, a Denny's, it was a like a. Anywhere with an all-you-can-eat buffet, like a Shoney's. Oh yeah, Shoney's. Yeah. Oh, oh man, man was, we would tear those places up, and I haven't eaten in once. So, 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 so.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> right. Yeah, you know,
3: Chipper uh, Doug Glanville's Phillies teams spent so many years chasing your chasing, just teams, just looking at the backs. Right. Yeah, never could figure out a way to beat your teams, and like this, this weird thought came over me as I was. Walking around the field after Game Six, talking talking to a bunch of players on this Braves team, it makes no sense to me that somehow this Braves team won as many World Series as your Braves teams that went back over and over and over again. And like, I'm not doing that to to, to rub it in or anything. I'm just fascinated by it, and I'm wondering how you process that.
5: <laughs> I had a I had a couple of premonitions throughout this postseason, like that's an inning that could propel you to a championship or that's a play that like everything, everything fell our way. And it's not that we didn't earn it, but we made the plays when we had. I mean, Eddie Rosario, God love his guy. I love the kid. He's an unbelievable hitter, a little allergic to the to the leather. You know, I mean. A little allergic to, to, to left field. When he made that play going back on the wall, when he took a glance milliseconds before the before the ball got there and the ball stuck. Yeah. At that point, you're like, that's that that's when you know something might be in the cards. When uh they're second and third in the Dodgers series and nobody out and Luke Jackson's already given up a couple and they bring in Matcic to face uh uh three right-handed hitters and he strikes out the side and and one of them's a Hall of Famer and the, the last one's probably going to be a Hall of Famer and Mookie Betts. Are you kidding me? That's when you start to sit back and say there might be a there might be something, you know, divine working, you know, in the Braves' favor and I can't tell you how many times during our run that I was just like man we we just we, at every turn you know I mean we go out and score one they come back and score two you know I mean we get a couple of guys on it scald one somebody makes a dive and play it's just you know you feel like you don't really uh get any mojo going and it, it just seemed like from the get-go even from the Milwaukee series that that the Braves had the necessary mojo I mean you look at they went through uh uh the two guys in Milwaukee, uh, uh, Woodruff and uh, the, uh, the other guy who's probably going to win Zion.
4: Uh Burns. 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 Burns, yeah.
5: I mean, these guys are nasty. But then I'm thinking to myself, well, this team faces DeGrom. <laughs> right. every series, they face uh, 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 Strasburg and, and uh, Scherzer every series. They face uh, those guys down in Florida. Don't sleep on those <laughs> starters down in Florida. They got some arms down there. So this team was well-groomed to to go out and, and beat those guys. But, man, Dougie will tell you, you know, Big Mo is big in this game. And, you know, when, once you start that ball rolling downhill in the postseason, it's awfully tough to stop it move it back the other way. And it just seemed like these Braves were, were rolling from the get-go.
3: Yeah, they really were. Uh, hey, they lost Game One of the postseason to the Brewers, and then they never trailed in any series again after that. They were just yeah. in control f- for yep. three rounds in a row. Uh,
5: and and should have won. And should have won Game One against the Brewers. Yeah. to be honest. With yeah, <laughs> yeah, easily like, could have. Um, yeah.
3: Like you mentioned this a couple times, you you, you were a hitting cons- consultant with this team. You were around them, start to finish. Um, what what hitter for this team? did we not talk enough about, or we did not appreciate enough?
5: <laughs> I don't know. I think everybody kind of got their just due. Um, I, I, I tell you who surprised me the most is Austin Riley. And I say that this is another proud pop moment because, you know, we didn't really change anything mechanically with, with Austin. And I never in a thousand years would have thought that that kid would have hit 300 in a season in a big leagues. You know, I had him as kind of a, a Troy gloss type of player, a little bit better athlete than Troy, but from the standpoint of he's going to go out there and he's going to hit, you know, 270 might hit 280 in a good year, but put 40 good swings on the ball and hit 40 bombs and obviously drive in hundred runs. Um, but for him to, Take a little nugget of what I, what I was trying to say to him in spring training. Keep everything the same, but we want to we want to change your sights to right center. When you have your sights in left center, you have a tendency to cheat. You're not going to see the ball as long. You're going to be susceptible to a lot of those sliders off the plate. It was even happening to him there at the end of the season where he was leaking a little, and hence swinging at some pitches off the plate. But when he's right. And he's sticking to the right center field wall. All I gotta do is say two words to him, and it's State Farm. There's a big State Farm <laughs> right <laughs> there. Right. Uh All right. If you stay through that State Farm sign, everything's gonna take care of itself. And for him to go out and hit 300, it just it blew my mind. I'm so I'm so proud of that kid because he, you could see the light bulb come on for him. And, and you know, my dad being a Being a public school teacher for 30 years, he always used to tell me one of the most gratifying things was when one of his students, when the light came on for one of his students. And I I finally realized, you know, what he was talking about when the light came on for Austin Wright.
4: Yeah. I mean, and I'll tell you, Austin and his defense, you know, I mean, you look at even the the metrics bear out someone who had an incredible season. I mean, you could argue he could have gotten a gold glove award. I mean, have Ronado. Uh, yeah. So was it something that you saw that in Riley as a more of a complete player? I mean, what was the sort of moment you felt connected to him to say, "Hey, I, I want to take this on"?
5: Um, <laughs> it was bestowed upon me by my GM. <laughs> sure that that happened. Um, he's a he's a great kid. He's from a great family. Um, I watched him play in the minors. I didn't know that he had that kind of defense in him. He'll he'll have lapses every once in a while, but for the most part, he was very, very consistent this year. All young kids are going to get lazy with their feet. The first thing I tell kids defensively, I didn't learn how to play defense until I was 30 years old because somebody finally came and told me that you play defense with your feet, Mm -hmm. not your glove and your arm. Mm -hmm. And once I realized what I, what they were talking about, I was like, I'm telling every kid that I talked to. And once you got it in his head to play defense with his feet, more so than he does with his glove and his arm, man, he took off. And and for him to even be in the gold glove conversation with the likes of an Arenado, that's, that's you know, I'm not always for second place, but that's pretty good company, you know. And, um, you know, for him to be able to, Pair all that together, offense, defense, power, run production, average. He, he more than surpassed, I think, all of our expectations this year.
3: Hey, I don't want to uh, forget the free agency of Freddie Freeman. Um, you know, we, we we talked about the parallels with your career. You you had your chances to leave, and you stuck around the Braves organization for 20 years. Uh Freddie all of a sudden is a free agent. Where would you put the odds that Freddie Freeman is playing somewhere else, anywhere else next opening day?
5: What are the odds? What per <laughs> I give you a percentage? Um, I would say somewhere between 10 and 20 percent he's playing somewhere else. That's
2: higher and than I a don't thought. I don't
5: I don't know that for a fact. Um obviously I'm sure there's some posturing going on with <laughs> Freddie's representation of uh, what they feel they can get out on the open market um, I think that the the Braves <laughs> will meet him halfway uh, you know at some point during this offseason um, but there's always a chance once you go to free agency you 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 dangle that carrot in front of somebody um, you know, a lot more money, maybe playing in a, a a bigger market, maybe playing closer to home. All those things are, are something that that Freddie has to has to weigh and, against. You know, coming back and playing where he knows everybody and where he's comfortable and where he's always told me that my number is going to be up there in the rafters <laughs> with yours if he leaves right. Well, that's over, you know, that, I, I don't think that that's going to happen. So, I mean, I'll never say never, but uh I, I really feel like Freddie's coming back and uh, I, I think it'll be uh pretty soon. You
3: yeah, know, when you played, did you ever let your mind go there? What it would be like to play somewhere else?
5: Oh yeah. You always wonder <laughs> how green <the> grass is <laughs> over on the side, right? I mean, man, if I got grass, you know, this big, you know, this big <laughs> over on the other side of the fence. So, yeah, you always wonder. But the fact of the matter is, is um, <clears throat> John Sherholtz gave us a chance to win each and every year. And with the guys in that clubhouse, I knew that that, that we were going to be competitive, that we were going to be in the playoffs, and that we were going to have a chance to go back to the big dance. You don't know that other, other places. Atlanta is – slower and smaller like I like it I like it I like it slow I don't like fast paced. I don't like people all up in my face you know we had like four beat writers that traveled with us Dougie in Philadelphia I mean y'all probably had 24 to travel with you on that big market so man I, you as as loudmouth and pompous as I was early on in my career I would have I committed career suicide about a bigger mark. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, and, and and so yeah and, oh, yeah well i always enjoyed going to montreal man there was like wh- a half a beat writer maybe <laughs> I was like yeah. it was like oh it's really yeah. quiet in here. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and so so was there a place uh, i don't know how close you came maybe even thinking about another place but was there a place that you admired from afar or a manager you say hey, it'd be cool to play for that guy we always talk about dusty or or joe madden or something was there anything like anyone like that for you
5: well, I grew up a Dodger fan.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, my, my dad is from Vero Beach, where they used to train. So, obviously, there's a, there's a connection there. Um, not a big fan of them now, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, always would have loved to have seen what it would have been like to go to Chavez Ravine every single day and play a home game. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I always admired from afar Jim Leland. Mm-hmm. Um, always thought he was a great manager, um, ahead of ahead of his time. You know, I mean, he, he, people think he's, he's 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 an older guy, but you know, I really feel like him, Coxie, Boch, um, those guys just had had a a, a feel, you know, a, a gut that that most guys that most managers didn't have, and I, I always wanted to play for him. I love Dusty Baker would have loved to play for him. He was a die. he like my first <laughs> recollections of, you know, uh, uh, being a Dodger or, or, you know, Dusty and Steve Garvey and Davey Lopes and Rick Monday and Fernando Valenzuela and all those guys. I mean, I freaking loved the Dodgers, you know, so that love carried on. And I mean, I walked into the stadium out to batting practice um, in game for game five of the World Series and Dusty came over. Like I was doing an interview with somebody and Dusty came over and waited like three or four minutes just to talk to me and say hello. And I love that man to death. And I'm sorry that, that <laughs> our team had to be the one to beat his because I so wanted him to, to to see him and his emotion after the ALCS and what his players mean to him, you could tell, man, it was, it's hard not to, not to pull for that guy. And Chipper, I just, just,
4: just one, you mentioned gut, you know, and I think it's interesting. How, how have you been able to embrace sort of, I don't, you know, I don't want to throw the demon over at analytics, but just yeah. how much those, those, those metrics play a role in, in decision-making. I mean, how has that been for you?
5: It's certainly an element. Um, there's uh, – but Snit, <laughs> Snit's going to play the percentages. And Snit's going to, you know, he, when it comes to the gut or what some of the numbers say, Snit's going gonna, Snit's gonna to do what he feels is right. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's been – he's like sitting in the front row of the Bobby Cox school of, you know, managing. I mean, heck, he was, you know, he's worked for him for – Lord knows how many years, and um, you know, being being seventy years old, he's not going to change his ways. You know, you you can you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Most times, you can you can give him suggestions and tell him certain things and give him the numbers and the analytics of everything. But in the heat of the moment, he's gonna he's gonna go with his gut. My goodness, every move he made this off season, I, I still can't believe. That he pulled Ian Anderson in the fourth inning, you know, with, I don't know, 45 pitches, but he had an opportunity to score some runs with the hottest hitter on the planet in Santana, and he hits a three run homer off Walker Bueller. I mean, that's another one of those points where you just say, man, <laughs> it's it, it looking like. Uh, Somebody's in the Braves' corner upstairs. You know, it's just everything. He, everything he he tried turned to gold this offseason. I'm so happy for him.
3: Yeah, but wait, that, does an old school quote unquote old school manager do what he did with Ian Anderson and he pulled him out of a no hitter after five
5: innings? Right. I mean, can you can you can you imagine Bobby taking? uh no chance the game in the fifth day he's like heck no i'm riding this horse as long as i you know until he bucks it, you know (laughs) but you know with a 23 year old kid who's spent some time on the dl and has you know and here here and i i go back to the analytics part of it you know end of the second time through the lineup beginning of the third time through the lineup you know, the, the ERA goes up. So at that point he just said, Hey, I got my shot right here with a hot hitter. Let's, let's, let's take it and pay it off, man. It's unbelievable.
3: It is. I I mean, you mentioned this, how would you compare him to Bobby Cox? Uh, You you really could feel um, a a similarity. I think, I thought, especially in the way he treated players and his players looked at him.
5: No doubt. Um, you very rarely saw Bobby in the clubhouse. He was always in his office and you might see him in the food room or something or the lounge, but you would never see him, uh, in our space. And he believed that was the player space Snits the same way I've got veteran. Um, I've got veteran presences in the clubhouse. It's their job to police the clubhouse. It's My job to manage this ball club. Um, uh, you know, from 7.05 to 10.05 or 11.05 or however long it goes. Um, very similar in the way they handle uh, personnel. Uh, very similar in the way that they uh, manage the X's and O's of the game. Different. The difference is in the personnel. Bobby was hardcore baseball 20 Four seven, like he slept in his cleats. He might have taken his, he might have unbuttoned his jersey, but he never took right? off. <laughs> <laughs> Always had the stogie in his mouth. I mean, he, he could have managed in any era of the game for all time. I mean, he was just eat, drink, sleep baseball. Snit's not like that. Snit, the second he takes the uniform off, he is dad. He's granddad. He is a husband. Um, he wants. He he wants to get away from it because this this game it takes especially at this level in the managerial from a managerial standpoint it takes a lot out of you. You know you could you could pretty much back in the nineties you could you could ink in your your starting lineup your starting eight other than your pitcher pretty much every day everybody played every day now I mean. <laughs> <laughs> He about pulled what little hair he had <laughs> out because of the amount of relievers that will come in and say, I can't go today, or, or I'm down today, or amount of players that, that, you know, say, I'm a little gimpy today. Man, if you'd have walked into Bobby Cox, Bobby, <laughs> Bobby guilted me into playing a couple times when I shouldn't have. I mean, I got a hamstring hanging on by a thread. He's like, now, Chip, do you think you can play through it? <laughs> He's just looking at you, You think you can play through it? I'm like,
2: Yeah, I can play through
5: it. <laughs> it's gotta be hanging by a piece of meat for you to for him to say he might want to take today off, you know? Um so it's uh it, it's there's a those are the only differences, but from the uh uh from the managerial standpoint, they're very, very similar. <laughs>
3: Yeah, Bobby didn't know about that stinking load management. <laughs> that, that, that's
5: for yeah. sure. All
3: right, Chipper, can't let you leave without asking you about this very special moment. It happened just a few weeks ago. I want you to listen to this, and then we'll have a lot to talk about. <laughs>
5: Popped up foul ground as Anderson and Freeman both going over and leak to kind of react to his Darno. But
4: oh, oh no! Up the seats. And did you see who dropped that ball?
5: Is that Chipper? It Chipper <laughs> Jones who just dropped a pop fly. That's a Hall of Famer right there. That's an E5. Oh, poor Larry. That's, that's going to be all over the place today. That's an E5. <laughs>
3: Jeff Francoeur so sympathetic
5: to catch
3: that foul ball. Yeah,
5: that was dripping with sarcasm, wasn't it?
3: <laughs> all right, what, what the heck happened there?
5: So, first of all, I'm a, I'm a smart man, okay? I would never, yeah. ever attempt to catch that ball barehanded. okay? I'm a smart, smart guy. I've got my three- and four-year-old sitting right next to me, all right? And my fear was that, you know, it drops on top or it hits the concrete, bounces up and hits one. And I was like, better me than them. <laughs> the sad thing about it is that I had a 10-time gold glover <laughs> like literally three feet away from me. And you know what he did? <laughs> uh, nothing. He spent a whole career calling me off of that stuff <laughs> all the time and now he sits there in his in his in his seat and knowing that i'm gonna drop it and i and i damn near broke my thumb by the way but at least my at least my kids were safe. yeah i've gotten a ton of grief over that one you're a
3: you're a youtube sensation now
4: <laughs> you're mean
3: <That's>
5: that. up.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah so, so you're gonna bring your glove to these games from now on
5: so I actually did bring a glove. So I sit in I sit in uh, what we call the truest club seats. So you know, obviously three rows, four rows behind um, our on deck circle. So they have a big bar and restaurant back there. So behind the bar, that's where my glove is. And whenever I go to my seats, I will I won't take my glove with me, but I'll have one of the waitresses come and bring it to me from now on. That will never <laughs> ever happen. <laughs> all oh,
3: right man. kids there you heard it <laughs> chipper, chipper jones has his glove at the games that's You're right now authorized
4: oh i'm, I'm with him a hundred percent it's like it's it's so understated that major league players are like not getting anywhere near a ball with bare hands like not even close to it these <laughs> guys involved 100 miles an hour there's no way so i i bring a glove shameless or so whatever i i'm bringing my glove
5: here's what here's what happened i saw that ball go up and it was probably five rows behind us okay it gets up to the top and then what's it do that
4: spins <laughs> spin
5: right and when it got to its apex i was like oh lord <laughs> this is not gonna end well <laughs> Because I knew it was coming right down on top, folks. And sure enough. And I mean, all the coaches in the, in the dugout, like, they're half on sideways. Like, I got Ron Washington looking at me like, man, you're making us look bad. All the
3: things you did in your career. And hey, i will always be remembered for this. That ain't right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: well,
3: I'm glad we did our part. To keep yes. this alive <laughs> oh. uh, Chipper look I know you're a busy guy uh, can't tell you how much we appreciate your taking the time to visit us here in Starkville uh, look forward to seeing you next year in spring training or Cooperstown hopefully both so thanks wow. so much for visiting us man
5: my pleasure, guys. Enjoyed it. Anytime, I love talking with you guys and reminiscing, talking about the game of baseball and getting it out there to the public. It's it's good stuff.
3: Yeah, likewise. Yeah. And just bring your glove on
0: that <laughs> uh, next time you go hunting, right? <laughs>
2: The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey, guess what, Doug? We have arrived once again at the portion of the show where we spent the whole summer basically embarrassing ourselves pretty much weekly. And then we rewrote that whole script here in the last two weeks. I'm referring, of course, to our Listener Trivia segment, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Somehow or other, we've actually gotten these questions right two weeks in a row. Uh, So it's up to you out there to try to restore some normalcy to this segment. Um, We let that happen because we literally involve you. Every show, we pick a trivia question from some lucky listener then you get to join us right here and attempt to stump us with your question. That usually goes a lot better for you than it has the last two weeks. So keep listening. We'll tell you in a few minutes just how to join in the stumping. Uh, Doug, here's our challenge this week. We need to see if we can somehow get the trivia question right for a third week in a row. I, I... I could be wrong. I don't even remember doing that back in the days when we were still using your devious cheating scheme. Uh, Am I right? We never got three in a row right, no matter what we did.
4: I don't know. I mean, I I know I had a decent record, but I am feeling very like UCLA basketball, UConn (laughs) basketball feeling. You know, I I feel like we're on our way to a sweep here. Playoffs, at least.
3: You're you're definitely deluded, (laughs) but we'll see what happens. We have a great question this week, uh, inspired by the retirement the other day, of Buster Posey. So let's see how hot we are, how smart we are. We'll welcome in this week's special trivia contestant. It's Howard Goldberg. Howard, great to have you visit us here in Starkville. Gentlemen, thank you. All right. All right. Look, before we get to the stumping portion of this, uh, tell us uh, where you're from and why you thought it would be fun to try to bamboozle us with your question.
0: Well, I'm, uh, I live in Virginia. Uh, I'm a middle school teacher, and I, I thought I would try and bamboozle because last time I almost had one that bamboozled, but I was kind of very nervous and accidentally gave Mr. Stark the answer to it <laughs> before <laughs> the last and I was kind of mortified. Oh, yeah. So I kind of was mortified and thought, I need to redeem myself. So this is my hope <laughs> of no, <you> redemption.
3: <laughs> you, you, you can feel free to just drop the answer <laughs> at any point in this discussion. Oh, no. Oh, no, uh, no, no, no.
0: That's why when your, your exec, Mr. McMaster, emailed me, I was like, are you sure I could give the answer? I, you know, I just wanted to double check. So, <laughs> yes. that, I, uh, all right. Well, I thought I'm going to try and redeem myself. And,
4: and you also have some New Jersey roots, right? So uh, yes. you know, speaking from Jersey, I'm T-neck. So yes, uh, Franklin yes.
0: Township Exit 9A. <laughs> <laughs> you know where that is, yeah. Uh,
3: all right, listen, we're uh, we are both great admirers of Buster Posey here, so we can't wait to honor him by getting your question wrong. Let's do this, Howard. All right, time to hit us with this week's question.
0: Okay, um, as you know, uh, Buster Posey. Posey played his entire career with the San Francisco Giants, and he won three World Series titles with them. If the Giants would have pulled it off this year and he would have gotten his fourth, Buster Posey would have tied this player for most World Series wins by a player that never played with the New York Yankees and won his rings with a single team and played his entire career with this team. Okay. it?
3: Nice. Got good. it. All right, so four World Series rings, mm-hmm. yes. all for one team. Right. Never right. played for any other team. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, like so, it. Doug, we like we took on a similar kind of question last week, and we got that one right somehow. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't
3: know if it'll help us get this one right, but here, like it should at least help us think through the the answers and narrow the, this down somehow or other. So I think. The, the essence of the question would be how many teams have won four World Series in no more than, say, 20 years or so? And that's a really short list. Yeah. Um, you know, it eliminates guys like uh, Big Poppy, for example. He only was around for three of the Red Sox titles, uh, started his career with a twin, so he would be out. And the only other uh, quote unquote modern team that won four. Times in a really short period was the Yankees, and no Yankees because uh, that, the wording of the question disqualifies them. Yeah. So once again, it feels like we're going way back to the Gas House Gang Cardinals, to the old nineteen twenties New York Giants. Um, Doug, your boy Frankie Frisch is out. I'm pretty sure <laughs> he also played with the Cardinals. He cannot be the answer. Giants, to this. And go, right? Uh, yep. But I, I'm not an expert on any of those teams. Uh, I mean, Mel Ott maybe with the Giants. Uh, Stan Musial maybe with the Cardinals. It could also be somebody that played with those guys. Um, I thought, you know, I thought about Hannes Wagner on those Pirates teams from the early part of the 20th century. I, I don't think they won. Yeah, four, times, four, so. four
4: times. Oh, that's so a like, lot.
3: Yeah, so basically, I'm as lost this week as I was last week uh, on who played for those teams. Doug, you know, you saved us last week. Yeah, uh, was, I, I yeah, think I'm going to invite, invite you to ride to the rescue again this week.
4: Yeah, I mean, well, okay, I, I feel pretty good. It's a Boston Red Sox team. I mean, I think. All right, so you have to, you have to think about that eliminates, four, that eliminates a whole that's century. That's pretty good. That's I mean that's pretty good. But well, the Red Sox back in the day though, they also rattled off a few. Back in like yeah, really,
3: yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. So someone might have been on those teams. I don't know. I have no idea who played on those. Babe Ruth, (laughs) but he switched (laughs) teams. The Yankees. So that doesn't work. Uh, So all right. So I I couldn't even guess from that era. But I remember the Red Sox, you know, getting on, off to a heck of a start. So, but the all right. So here's my question to you: 2004 to 2018, were there any Red Sox that played on all four World Championships? No. Like Dustin Pedroia, who's to I guess because I would have had to play see, against him.
3: Like Dustin Pedroia was technically on the roster in 2018, yeah. but he was hurt. He never
4: played. Right, but does that count? Do you have to play or?
3: Let's ask Howard. Howard, did you have
0: to actually play in those World Series to win a ring? I believe you do, and this gentleman did there okay so he okay. played there is a who was on the team with this gentleman but because he did not possibly did not play in one of the world series uh-huh. baseball reference does not count him as having one of four i have a rank.
1: i well okay I was going to say yeah, I have a but like it, it may also. No, it, it's... We're like... No. I would have to get permission from Howard. I, I think it might no, give it be, away. Like, if I'm feeling
0: really merciful because you guys are just cold. <laughs> you're, you're not even... That's <laughs> a phrase, you're not even... We're not work. even...
1: Okay. All right. I'll g- let me give you this one. Oh, uh, while he played his entire career for one franchise, he played in two home oh. cities.
4: Did he so, convert? Oh, like, oh, like, oh whoa, we'll so this, oh, is, wait.
3: this is Dodgers then. Like Brooklyn. Uh, this, this is Brooklyn and L.A. Dodgers.
4: All right, I can roll with that.
3: It, oh, could it be Sandy Koufax? I don't uh, know.
4: No, he I wouldn't could, have pitched. He wouldn't have pitched in '56. His but, arm, uh, did his arm, kind of fall off his elbow. Uh, well, he, I think this. This is all on you, man. I think I. I, <laughs> I don't know if I. Todd, I mean, I could rattle off some Dodgers, won. but won a major award. Uh... Uh ooh, let's
3: how see. about ooh, Don Newcomb is a good name. So we're, I know, all right, once again, this I'll is let you we guess this one. We, we, get, we get close. We kind of have it. We
4: talk ourselves
3: out of it. Uh, that's why
4: I'm not going to speak because I'm not talking you out of it. Like, you can <laughs> just pick a guess. <laughs> let,
3: let, let's get this over with. Um, all right, Howard. Is there... <laughs> is there any... Chance it is Johnny Padres.
0: No. <laughs> you were. I will. I will give you credit. You were close yeah. with Koufax He was technically listed as having appeared for the team in '55, but he never made a World Series appearance. And on his BaseballReference.com, he's only listed as a three-time World Champion. Uh, the per- the person, uh, not Drysdale. It is actually Jim Junior Gilliam, oh, who, who won the Rookie of the Year, um, and then won in '55 with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and then won the other three when they went over uh, when they moved over to Los Angeles. Um, also, know. credit to you, Mr. Glanville. There was another gentleman. You were kind of also on the right track with the early Boston Red Sox. A gentleman by the name of Harry Hooper um, won four with Boston, but he also played with the Chicago White Sox as well, so he did Mm. not uh, play his entire career with one team. Uh, Junior Gilliam uh, played uh, 13 years uh, with the Dodgers. Mm, Junior
4: Uh, Gilliam, that's great.
3: Yeah. You, all right, you know what, Doug? Like, I'm okay with this. Yeah, we did. Uh, there, we did well. We, yeah, there's we no chance it. the trivia gods were ever going to allow us to get three of these. Own, <laughs> right? uh, so like, to miss a question in which the answer happened 60 to 70 years ago, I, I, I'm feeling remarkably unhumiliated.
4: <laughs> How about you? I feel no good. I mean, Junior Gilliam is a, a great story. He came up yeah, with, uh, when right. I talked to you know, the late Bill Buckner, I, I interviewed him, and he mentioned how Junior Gilliam was so important to him, and I started doing research about his, his days. Uh, didn't know as much until then, so uh, very cool to have him as an answer.
3: Yeah, I, thought, I knew it would be somebody like that, but whatever. If you listen regularly, you know that whether we get the question right or wrong. We still bring in our mayor, Tim McMaster try to make you not remember all those (laughs) wrong guesses. (laughs) Tim is going to play some fabulous play-by-play clip involving Junior Gillum. Mr. Mayor, what are we about to listen to?
1: Well, first, before that, Johnny Padre is also a really good guest, Jason. He was on three of those Dodgers teams, and he was actually on the 65 team, but didn't pitch in the World Series. But, But he finished his career with a couple of years in Detroit and one in San Diego. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. But that was a pretty good guess. So, But anyway, back to Junior <laughs> Gilliam. Uh, we're going to go back to one of those World Series all the way back in Game 4, 1965, mm-hmm. against the Twins, this one uh, in L.A. at Dodger Stadium. Uh, big game for Gilliam. Here you go.
2: They said... Cut off, it's one to nothing. And Gilliam has his first RBI of the season, yeah. they it.
5: It is five to nothing. Yeah. Gilliam's second RBI of the day
1: couple of RBI singles for him in that game, uh, the play-by-play. Funny, though, Vin Scully was also on the calls for those games, but was not actually doing the play-by-play in the innings in which Killiam got those hits. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I am trying to, try to, to place
3: that voice.
1: Ray yeah. Scott. Ray, Ray Scott. Ray
3: Scott. Oh, wow. The, the, foot, the, the guy who became the future football voice of football? Wow. Uh, Ray Scott. I, I just want people to appreciate how impressive our mayor is that he finds these clips (laughs) somewhere in the archive
4: of stuff
3: that happened 60 years ago. It's amazing. It's a miracle. Don't you think? Yeah, I I do.
4: That's very impressive.
3: All right. Hey, Howard. Great Howard, that was great, man. It was good bantering and
4: talking to you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thanks for
3: trying so hard
4: to have. Very educational.
2: Strange but true.
3: All right, Doug, it's a part of the show that we have had so much fun with all season long. It's our look at the strangest but truest stuff in baseball that catches our warped eyes. And, Doug, I guess this is the last time we can break this segment out until spring training, at at least in its current form. Uh, I I hate when that happens. I'm a strange but true kind of guy. So try to keep my spirits up, okay?
4: Well, someone might get run over by a wild boar in the offseason or yeah. you know you know things happen so we'll 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 trust that that's possible <laughs>
3: yeah we will uh, i like i'm not even going to promise we won't throw some strange but true football developments in. <laughs> you know, like, we, we, had that, we had josh allen sacking and intercepting josh allen in one game on sundays so uh, we're keeping that in reserve but uh for now we're going to just talk baseball and you know what doug through the years, you and I have had so much fun talking about great moments in pitcher hitting. And we need to do that one more time because I'm not sure the next time that any pitcher not named Shohei is ever going to hit. So let's talk about Zach Grinky. because someday when we ask that trivia question, who was the last pitcher not named Otani to get a hit? Uh, it looks like it's going to be an American League pitcher who <laughs> will be the answer to that trivia question because this is the Strange But True segment. So, of course, it will. Uh, the fun thing about Zach Greinke in that World Series was he didn't just get one hit. No, no, no. <laughs> he, he got more than one hit. Game four, that was the game he started on the mound. He got a single up the middle off Kyle Wright of the Braves. Then along comes game five. Uh, this is a game where Zach Greinke doesn't throw a pitch. It's a game the Astros have to win. It's must win. Fourth inning, his team is trailing by a run. Dusty Baker <laughs> sends him up to pitch it. And then Zach Greinke does this. Good starting
2: pitching has been so scarce as he lines one into right, a base hit. He's two for three in this World Series, swing in the bat. And he's on with one out here in the fourth. He's going to tell Mr. Correa, his teammate, he can rake.
3: (laughs) Yeah, he'll tell him all right. Uh, I love this. Uh, I'm going to fill you in on all the strange but true nuggets that I looked up at like four in the morning in a moment. But first, Doug, your thoughts on Zach Greinke sweet swinger that he yeah. is or was
4: well first of all that that is hard to do i mean i i did have a pinch hit in the playoffs a couple yeah, and not hit ch- two oh, at bats three. and so i did have triple i did and you realize like wait a minute i haven't played in the game and started in like three weeks i mean the <laughs> rust and you know you're hitting like high velocity pitching it's it's the world series I mean, that is ice water in his veins. And, and great he's I mean, he's a great hitter. He's been a very good hitter throughout. So it's not surprising that, you know, he's a legit bat to have there. But the fact of how, I don't know when his last at bat was before the postseason. I mean, he didn't even pitch for like a month. So, uh, I mean, after what did you find that answer? Like, when did he last hit? He he,
3: he did get to bat an interleague play. Yeah. I, I, if I remember right, he didn't have a hit in the regular season and then he gets yeah. two hits
4: in the World Series yeah I mean it's just mind-blowing so that it's really hard to do to have timing because that's the first thing that goes your swing when you you don't like get the rhythm of it you just don't have the timing and you get out in front or just and that little split second you're off you're, you're either missing it or fouling it off or whatever rolling over that was a missile to right field. I mean, it was a beautiful yeah. swing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and that, you know, that's what I'll miss. There are, first of all, like Max Frieds, are the really good athletes, some of the pitchers, but also just the doing the impossible is, is, is so inspiring and fun and wacky that that's what you're going to miss. But, uh, yeah, Greinke ended on a very good note, should that be the last <laughs> time a pitcher hits.
3: <laughs> yeah. All right, so now let me tell you all the – the wacky stuff i was looking up in the middle of the night because i just need help okay so start with the category of pitcher pinch hits uh no pitcher had gotten a pinch hit in a world series game in almost a hundred years jack bentley 1923 world series okay but this is a guy who was a really good hitter he used to pinch hit regularly, uh, later began transitioning uh, to play some outfield, play some first base. So he's a little different. Uh, so, it, like, if we want to exclude him even, he was kind of Otani-like. Then the last pinch hit before Zach Greinke by a pitcher in the World Series was this guy Clarence Mitchell for the Dodgers in 1920. That's a century, man. It's unreal. So we so we have that whole aspect of this. And then this was the thing that got, I just went down the rabbit hole in the middle of the night. I don't even know why, but nobody even focused on the fact that we had a pitcher with a hitting streak going in the World Series. Okay, like two hits in the World Series by an American League pitcher. The ALCS MVP, your Don Alvarez, only got two hits in the World Series. So did Zach Reinke. Uh That Tober guy, Jock Peterson, he only got one hit in the World Series. And Zach Greinke got two. Uh, so I thought, all right, right, got to look into World Series hitting streaks by a pitcher. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. So last one by any pitcher, if you do it over two World Series... I don't know if you saw this. Cliff Lee was the answer. Got a hit in 2009 with the Phillies and then got a hit in 2010 with the Rangers. So that was kind of cool. Then I thought, well, I should really look up last one within a single World Series. <laughs> and that turned out to be Don Gullett for the Reds in oh, yeah. the 1975 World Series. Of yeah. yeah. And now Zach Ranke. So... Think about how crazy this is. The last pitcher, not named Otani, to ever get a hit, maybe, was a pitcher who plays in a league where pitchers don't hit, and he'll go out with a hitting streak in the World Series. So, Doug, does that sum up why we even have a strange but true portion of this show, or what?
4: Well, that sums up why we have a show. Let, let's call it what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the glory of it all. Uh, it's beautiful. I, I, I think the poetry of it just stands on its own. I mean, American League pitcher, hitting streak, Zach Greinke. I mean, it's it's, it's beautiful. And, you know, and, and the wacky thing, it kind of worked. You know, Dusty, they win the game, they win game five and... It looks like managerial genius, so I'm all for it. I'm all for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we
3: need more. More Zach Grinke pinch hits, more pitcher hits, more Bartolo-like moments. I don't know how that's ever going to happen, but we can dream. We will dream. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, We promise to keep bringing you more of this podcast magic all off-season long. On Starkville and on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety absolutely free at Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. And you can still find us ad free at The Athletic or at The Athletic app. If you like what you hear, we would love it if you'd subscribe, give us one of those five star reviews. One more time, our appreciation goes out to the many people who have already done that. If you'd like to read our work, uh, there's no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you've thought about subscribing, you can go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and subscribe for 33% off. So check us out. You'll be happy that you did. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast every show. For some reason, we invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us and prove once again there is almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. To do that, you just need to submit a question via email or Twitter. If you want to email us, you would send it to Starkville at TheAthletic.com or there's always that Twitter road if somebody were firing a question at Doug Lanville via Twitter, how exactly does that work, Doug Lanville?
4: Oh yeah, can't get any easier. At Doug Glanville. nothing really sexy there. D O U G, G L A N V I L L E, and just hit me up, no problem.
3: Doug just said he's not sexy. I heard that. <laughs> uh,
4: I am at Jason S
3: T. That's at J A Y S O N S T. Please remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville Q S. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Chipper Jones for visiting us. Thanks to Howard Goldberg for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Wednesday on the Athletic Baseball Show is Evan Drellich keeping us up to date on the business of baseball on his new way-too-timely show. And Doug and I will see you soon on Starkville.